Hey guys, so welcome to the newly rebranded Shane Walsh podcast. So with the new name, we also have a new sponsor. So I have delighted to announce that I have signed up and I'm working with a company called Apex Fitness. So Apex produce and sell quality gym equipment and fitness equipment. They're founded in 2020 and are based in Ireland. So supporting Irish companies is a massive thing now, especially with what's happening. And they deliver their products both nationally and internationally and they work with a dedicated team of staff, affiliates, and influencers around. They have core beliefs of affordability, quick delivery, quality, and sustainability. So I wouldn't be partnering up with something I didn't really believe in and wouldn't really partner up with anything that I didn't truly use myself. So they have a, a wide range of products from the likes of running vests, resistance bands, glute bands, massage guns. They have so much equipment. They have water bottles as well. So if you're looking for something, for you for home workouts add to your gym workouts to make those runs a little bit more difficult or simply just for a water bottle these products are amazing so i'm also delighted that i have an affiliate link with these guys as well with apex fitness and i'm delighted that the if you use the, the affiliate code shane w10 so s-h-a-n-e-w-10 you will get 10 percent off of your order so guys that code again is shane w10 and i'm delighted to announce uh, the link and the affiliate with apex fitness i hope you guys enjoy the episode hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the shane Walsh fitness podcast so today is episode 201 and this is probably one of the most raw and emotional episodes that i have had and it's a massive credit to the man that is on the podcast today so today's episode is with ga and incredible human incredible man shane cardi so Shane has had his his battle with mental health from as early as kind of fifth year when if you're over in England, that's from the age of about 17. So Shane won the All-Ireland uh, in, in 2013 with the, with the Dublin panel. And for many, this would be seen as the idyllic life. He came from a, 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 a decent home, a very well brought up home and it's a massive credit to his family in the way he's so open about his his life and the bravery that he's shown in talking about his kind of mental health side of things so we talk about an awful lot of his journey in relation to these what changed for him in fifth year what actually overcame him we talk about his incredible book dark blue so if you are looking for a book to read or listen on audible which is coming out in september uh, which is new <laughs> and exclusive here uh, so that's going to be huge. Then there's also the moments that he struggled to write with the within the book. There was talk about the the mental health toolbox that he uses, the pressure, and um, that was around him. We also talk about the kind of the moment that he was crying in front of his mom, um, the day of the the 2014 All Ireland Run 21 final, and how that kind of brought himself and his family a little bit closer, and getting rid of the stigma around mental health particularly for men i know women do struggle as well i'm not trying to downplay that in any way but i know there's a taboo about opening up to feelings as a man and i've been there myself and we also talk about kind of like reaching out for support and how important desi farrell the current Dublin manager at this time of recording has been on has been for him and the impact that he went when he went in the late late and the impact and the emotion and you can hear that in his voice when Shane is talking about the appearance and the impact that people were messaging him from the age of 17, 16 all the way up to people up in their 80s so it has a massive massive impact so if you're looking for a book to read 
on a holiday or in your staycation or whatever it may be get dark blue it will be out on audible in september but i hope you guys enjoy the episode with shane cardi shane thank you so much for coming on from myself my pleasure Shane, I know you've been, I know when the, the book initially came out and stuff, you were, you were with Tuberty, you were with the big guns. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so massive congratulations on, on Dark Blue, uh, the amazing book that you, you have. So how did, tell us your background and tell us, tell us your incredible story because it definitely needs to be heard. Yeah, so, so I guess kind of going back into my story and where it all began was the middle of fifth year. Um, what I didn't know then, what I now know was the start of my depression. Um, and that would have then started a cycle of, of two years that I didn't think I was going to go into of ever worse than depression. Um, so much so at the start, I was, I remember I was so naive and thinking at the start, like it was hormonal changes going on in my body. And um, because I guess from the outside looking in, my sport and life, I was, I was born into a sport in my family. Um, and in particular, I football. I was lucky enough to be representing the minor footballers, which would have been my second year at the middle of fifth year when it all started. Um, and I, from the outside looking in, I had the idyllic life of, you know, amongst friends, you know, relatively talented sports and, you know, so much so that my life was going on an upper curve, but internally it was going quite the opposite. And, and I couldn't make sense of it. And over those span of two years, as I said, it gradually got worse, but my sporting career was getting better and better. And so much so in, in six years, at the of age of 18, I found myself in a Dublin senior football dressing room. Um, and I guess that was even more difficult then at that stage was probably wanting to speak up but didn't quite know what I wanted to say and the kind of clouds that were kind of ascending and, and kind of going on for quite some time at that stage uh, was getting more difficult as I said and you know a year and a half into that journey I got my hands on my second All-Ireland uh, we were lucky enough to get an All-Ireland medal in, in, in the minor grade and then now it's senior at 18 years of age I'm on top of the Hogan Sand Steps Run to eighty-two and a half thousand people, and you're probably thinking like, "God, what are people thinking about me?" As I'm like looking from the outside in, I was like, "This guy's eighteen years of age at the pinnacle of his career, and you know, probably so much further along the the road than I would have expected." You know, maybe twenty-one, twenty-two break. Team, I was eighteen years of age, and um, at this stage, and it was a week after the All Ireland, and I had the first thought of going by suicide, and. The internal dialogue again that I was having with myself was last week I was in front of 82,500 people Sam McGuire cast high above my head and yet a week later I want no part of this world so I was thinking how can I say this to anyone my friends my family you know who are hugely supportive who have always been that way it wasn't anything that I was afraid of what they were possibly going to say but I guess it was just the overall judgement of the Irish thing of like sure sure, what's wrong with you you know, you know yes. get on with it the I'll be, I'll be grand thing I'll be grand, you know, how are you? I'm grand. Oh, and um, fast forward and that, that, that then transpired six months kind of of uh, continuing um, spirals into kind of suicidal ideation. Um, and in around the time again, toward the latter end of those two years, begin to build up the courage and take with desolate low, uh, not only me, but my family, the past on my nanny and, and granddad within the space of six weeks. Again, that courage has begun to build up. I'd kind of completely parked aside. I was thinking, whatever I'm going through in my life can't even compare to what my, you know, my mom in particular, she's both lost her mom and dad in the space of six weeks. And um, so I did uh, for the previous two years. What I did was shut up shop, put up a place that a lot of people probably listening to this will be accustomed to and quite used to and um, who've gone through these dark times. And it uh, basically just transpired that I had a panic attack 
in the lead up to um, the All Ireland semi final. I was now representing under 21 Dublin footballers. Um, and at that stage, I was taking a panic attack and found myself in St. Patrick's Mental Hospital, where I spent 11 weeks there. Um, and I would say it was a change in the guard. It was a change that I needed in my life. It was a, it was a massive um, helping hand in my overall kind of recovery and something that I did need because, again, without being, you can't even be too blunt, but, you know, it was, it was a matter of life or death for me at that stage. Um, and that's how it was. Um, and I guess those 11 weeks really changed my kind of mindset and um, my overall kind of, I would say, knowledge on the whole topic of mental health, never mind depression. And then, you know, seven years on, an awful lot has happened. You've obviously mentioned the book. I've went on to study an undergraduate in, in sports science in DCU. Uh, I've been doing talks right around the country the last three or four years. Um, and with, the, that, with that, it's kind of the hope that I can have an effect on people, not get to the point where I did uh, so many years ago. And obviously the book is part of that as well, to try to give people who are suffering in silence that bit of voice to be like, this is what I'm kind of going through. Very, very similar. So in a nutshell, that's, that's where I've come from. That that is my kind of my story. At the age of like seventeen, is very very young to be aware of that. Mm. And I, I like it's not a it's a, like I know depression doesn't discriminate against age. It doesn't pick an age if you know what I mean. But how did you know what depression was at the age of seventeen, or was it kind of one of these things that was a taboo and that just wasn't going to be spoken about? I guess in around that time, I, I was so uneducated. I, as I said, at the start, I thought it was hormonal changes. And then after that, I just called it it. It was it for me. It wasn't depression. It wasn't mental health. In around that time, as, as little as kind of mental health was spoken about, I, I didn't know what it was. Um, I didn't have anyone to kind of be that kind of lantern or someone to look, look, for, uh, kind of look at and say, okay, he's gone through similar experiences. You know, it simply wasn't spoken about. I'm speaking about even the talks that I've done the last three or four years. That unfortunately wasn't the case way back in 2012 when I first started. You know, we never had kind of mental health workshops. We never had people speaking about anxiety, bipolar, depression, mental health in general. There simply wasn't a conversation around it. So, and if it was, it was exactly what you just nailed on there, that taboo subject. It was very stigmatized. And that's how I would have certainly felt like even going into St. Pat. I still very much would have stigmatized depression and mental health and everything. I was thinking, I'm not quote unquote crazy like these other people, yeah. you know, and that, that was, that was my, you know, uneducated self, not knowing what mental health was. Yeah. And I think, I think what you said there about it, like you've, there's different brackets to it, but it's kind of saying that it still doesn't make it okay to like that, that stigma needs to go. And I think for particularly, with what's happening at the minute, I think an awful lot of people are struggling. You can see like eating disorders are up like 60% up in men during this weird time as well, which which is the stats are scary. Yeah. But do you think there's enough being done in relation to the, the, the protection of men's mental health? Because I know we've got the likes of November. I did it and I I, I, I wasn't allowed near uh, playgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think the likes of that as in like you, you have November and you have different kind of stages during the year that um, it's highlighted but my question is then how much is it actually spoken about away from those kind of yeah. kind of times that it's kind of in the kind of conversation of people are in the kind of social media world that we live in now nowadays a, lot, a long kind of answer short there for that I don't think we are doing enough um, I don't think it's any 
fault of kind of people who are trying to share their stories. I simply think services that are simply not adequate are they're not there. They are not there. As in like, and I very much found that out. You know, very early on when I started kind of my speaking career, three or four years ago, I had people coming up to me saying I went through similar experiences and had to wait six months for an appointment. I was thinking. You know, you know that that's that, that's just simply not good enough. As as in where I was, if I was told that I had to wait six months from the point that I went in the same path just prior to that, God forbid where where I might be. And I don't think to against people, I don't think it will be here. You know, and, and that's why you spoke about the statistic there of the even eating disorders, but even suicide. As far as I know, and, and I don't want to put a put a figure on it, but as far as I know, the way we are going as a country, we'll have one of the highest suicide rates in Europe. Um, by 2022 or 2023 um, and that's just simply is again to go back to the stigma the debut that mental health is seen as we're doing an awful lot more as I spoke about back in 2012 workshops mental health kind of speaking events weren't there slowly but surely they are coming into the workplaces they are coming into schools but again we can do an awful lot more as in like have a broken leg you go into the hospital you get that fixed there, there on the day in my kind of head it's like you have a broken mind you should be able to avail of service to be able to get it kind of sorted there and then, or at least start that process there on that day instead of going, just wait six months and we'll get on to you. I really like that analogy of like, if you have a broken leg, you go and get it fixed. And <laughs> it's not about even fixing, it's kind of like about mending it, mending it and kind of working yeah. together and working with someone on it. Because I know myself, I've been not, like there's no comparing or whatever like that when it comes to mental health. I've been one week away from doing something very stupid after getting very ill. And it, like I was very lucky that she had a cancellation, and I don't think I'd be here if that she hadn't got that cancellation. I only had to wait a week for that that meeting with the, but she was so brutally honest, like she was flat out like this, 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 and this. And I don't think if I had got a nicey, nicey approach person, I don't think it would be the same thing. Like sometimes you just have that click, and you're very lucky who comes into your life. You, how did the whole book thing come about? Like how did Dark Blue come about? Because like you should, it's an incredible piece of work. So. Massive congrats on that. I appreciate it. And, and the, the kind of irony in it is that I, I guess I wouldn't have been the most academic in school, particularly in, in English. I probably would have been maybe a kind of average ski student or, or whatever it may be. And um, how it came about was I actually had taken a year out from college. I was thinking what means something to me. Of course, sport was a massive kind of thing in my life. And what was secondary then it was, um, it was mental health. And I was thinking, you know, I see an awful lot of people kind of having these kind of blogs or kind of the social media world or click away from anything. And I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do on my year out that will really mean something to me? I want to share my story in the shape of a blog. So it actually started out at um, basically what is of the book uh, today. And um, so I've written a blog, not thinking too much of it, and um, just basically the, the kind of remnants of my story, which I have there in dark blue. And it had completely blown up. Um, my phone didn't stop playing up for three or four or five days. I'd posted up on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, as just a kind of, as I said, a click of a way. You know, I'd, do, I'd done so many kind of public speaking events, but again, that was confined to a certain amount of people, a certain time, a certain yeah. place. And I just wanted, you know, a, a finger kind of tap away. And it's like, okay, I can relate to this. And I had so many people, again, you were speaking about the kind of age demographic as well people young and old from literally 15 years of age, 80 years of age, male and female. And that was the peril within the story. So out of that, that transpired from there was I'd actually got in contact one day from, um, I got an email from uh, the O'Brien Press 
And I thought it was, I'll never forget, it, I was actually working down my local petrol station at the time and an email came through on my phone and seen the O'Brien Press and said, hi, Shane, we're speaking about your recent blog and a recent publication meeting and we'd be really interested in bringing in for a possible book deal. And I thought it was one of the lads, you know, taking big enemy or whatever it was. So I was like, oh, I'll get to that later. And I looked and it was all official thread and it was Michael O'Brien and of the, of the O'Brien Press. And I was like, okay, I'll respond to this. Still at that stage, I was thinking it would possibly be like a, like one of those record deals, you know, I just fall through the cracks. So I went in and had a conversation and straight away sat down with uh, Michael O'Brien and he said, look, we want to do a book with you. I was like, hey, it's like, where do we, where do we start? You know, as I said, I wasn't overly academic. I wouldn't actually have been particularly into that much reading. I'm always a hundred miles an hour. I found it very hard to kind of sit down and I have time to myself. Slowly but surely, I learned kind of different ways to be able to do that. But um, that was the start of it in April 2019. Um, as it were, and um, basically signed a contract from there. And uh, you said, look, we, we believe that you can write a really, really good book. Even at that, I was like, me, you want me to write the book? No. Um, but I just got down to it. And, and I had days where I guess I wrote for 20 minutes a day, I wrote for six or seven hours a day. It just depended. It all just depended on how I felt. I was talking about kind of subjects or things that I put away for so long that I couldn't even tell my mom or dad and my people closest to me. Never mind the whole world. So that was, of course, a hugely kind of scary process. But it was about a year and a half in the making. And I sent away 90, I think, in around 94,000 words. And it's be cut down to about 50 or 60,000 what the actual book is now today. So it was a year and a half every single day. And, and it was a hugely kind of satisfying process. I think going into it, I was a bit apprehensive of how much regurgitating of the class I could kind of and muster up and, and kind of face. I found a huge therapeutic just to get down the page to be able to see, look how far I've come and look what I've been able to do to be able to go from not being able to tell my mom and dad to essentially tell the whole world. Um, yeah. And that's what it was. It, it, it was put off for some time, of course, because, because of the pandemic. I wanted it to be um, a really kind of poignant moment in my life, uh, April 16th. Um, which was um, which was the day that I, that I went in in the hospital um, and actually marked semicolon day. I'm, I'm not too sure, semicolon day, but but it's actually my first ever tattoo, and that was going to mark six years um, since my admission into Stats and I wanted to release, of course, because of the pandemic, I had to be prolonged a bit better or a bit longer, um, and that possibly worked in my favour as well in terms of so much more people could relate because, as yeah. I said. Through this pandemic, an awful lot of people have, I guess, learned a lot more about themselves and they've been affected in some shape or form or know some shape or form with regards to mental health. So this book has just been trying to give voice again to people who are suffering in silence and the action from it has been nothing short of mind-blowing, to be honest. And it's, it's something you should be incredibly proud of because like a year and a half work isn't a short time and the fact that it's like it's 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 potentially like comparing something like you going to training for the old ireland it's a day long thing it's it's the unsexy stuff that you don't see you see we see the finished article yeah. we don't see the un the, the, the unsexy stuff behind it was there any moment in it or was there any one piece of the book that was kind of very very uncomfortable for you to write i guess I guess kind of delving back into the, the suicidal ideations, the, the start of that, in particular around those times and moments in the book that I knew that my mom and dad are going to be reading for the first time. They obviously, of course, knew a lot, an awful lot of my story, but there was an awful lot of the times that I didn't know when I went out in my car 
or what I was thinking as I was sitting in the room. You know, I've communicated that with them. They may have just seen it, their son right in front of them, you know, having a conversation, but little did they know the internal dialogue that I was having um, and places that I went to, things that I was thinking um, of doing and that were going to be reversible. So in around that time, it was particularly difficult and that probably was the longest portion of trying to get that out um, on paper. Um, I stopped myself an awful lot of times, 20, 30 minutes. That's all I could kind of muster up to be able to attack each day. But I was fine with that. I, I was prepared for that to regard. Um, and I made sure as well in around that time that I was writing a book. I actually went back to my psychologist just to make sure I was all on track. Although I was six, seven years down the line of, you know, a, outside on the other side, I was still making sure that I was still in check. Was regard to saying an awful lot of the past, and I didn't want that to manifest into something that didn't need to be kind of, I, I would say, kind of conjuring up yet again in my life. So I was very, very careful. The way I'd seen it was actually an NCT for my mind. The same way we go to get our car checked up, I was getting a little NCT for my mind. Am I all there? Am I okay? Am I all in check here? Am I doing absolutely everything to make sure that I'm okay speaking about what I'm speaking about here? So I would say in around that kind of six month period that I spoke about the kind of suicidal ideations was most difficult without doubt and um, throughout the whole book. How did you find going back and talk to kind of the psychologists and stuff with, and kind of looking through that, like going through the notes and stuff just to kind of as a data reference? I, I found it humbling. I, I did find it humbling because I, I guess I got to a point where um, I got got to a point where it was a really, really bad moment um, back in 2018 when I became you know, independent, I would say, of, of a psychologist. Um, and what I had actually learned from that was that I didn't particularly, I had seen it as a, as a huge kind of stepping stone, a huge kind of achievement, which it was, absolutely. But then I was kind of thinking, why for so long did I put away for going, going to a psychologist and keep my mind in check? I'm looking after my fitness every single day. Why don't I look upon this as um, training my mind? every single day and it's like I haven't gone to the gym for two years you know you're going to be in terrible shape so I haven't gone to my psychologist for two years not I'm going to be in terrible shape but you're mm-hmm. not going to be all up there you, you, you know I'm going to get that and they going back and um, for it all first off it was humbling but then after that it was um, it was nice it was nice because I was still learning things that was the thing I went in I was thinking I know it all here I know mental health but then I was still learning things every single day because what was facing me there didn't face I didn't have to face up to two or three or four years ago you know so my story was different my life was different every single day we're learning stuff about ourselves so as I'm like that was something for me to kind of speak about and need to learn kind of new kind of coping mechanisms any kind of triggers that I picked up on these coping mechanisms I was constantly kind of learning and I, I remember I referred to actually as my mental health toolbox love that kind of analogy of having a toolbox they can dip in and out of and that toolbox was dusty for some time because I was blown off the cobwebs because I hadn't gone back to my psychologist and I could add a few more tools in there that I can still refer to on, on kind of days that I have my good and bad days because I still have my good and bad days to be transparent you know with it, it's something that do, yeah. you know and, and that's the thing we, we all do and in particular around these times you know we all have our good and bad days and a big thing for me a kind of learning curve for me was that acceptance this is going to be an everyday thing. I may have usually kind of right kind of couple of months, everything is rosy, but then, you know, there might be a speed bump on the road. And that's why I had that toolbox there to be able to refer upon when that speed bump does come up. And how do you kind of 
like how do you talk yourself out of those bad days now or do you kind of just like you're a little bit more compassionate to yourself or as you change the language towards yourself or do you do something for yourself to win that day or that moment yeah and, and it's a really good question because as, as you say everyone has their good and bad days um, and the way I see it is not to try fight it as in if I am having a bad day I'm very kind of I would say like to kind of have the helicopter view I, I went through with my, my psychologist one time it's kind of taking yourself out of your own body and kind of having the helicopter view and like looking down and kind of assessing why you might you be feeling this way um, and going through different kind of rigmarole ta- has my sleep been on point has my nutrition been on point have I had any stresses in terms of had I picked up a little niggle in, in training have I not had a, a great week in terms of being around people who were possibly more negative minded you know an awful lot of things and, I, and I'm able to kind of just sit down and assess and a big thing for me is not to have it up in my head massive thing is actually I wouldn't call it journaling but I would say just expressing my emotions on the page if I'm hugely stressed I always love to put it down on the page because very often times when you actually look at it right in front you're like oh, not that bad you know when you have it all up in your head it can feel like all muddled up and you don't know where whether you're coming or going and how kind of again situational kind of things I always refer to kind of physical exercise. I'm sure people listening in, in or who will be listening in on this, and that physical exercise, those happy endorphins that we release, that was what got through me two years of the work time in my life. So I still refer to that to this day. You can't beat those happy endorphins. And I always say that to people, whether it's a walk or run or swim, and the infamous five case that we all went on during lockdown. And um, that's all just kind of feeding into kind of attacking the day and winning that day if it doesn't start off so well. Um, and then away from that, I would say even kind of just chatting away to my mates with coffee or even over the infamous Zoom calls that we're all having now, yeah. just kind of expressing a bit of emotion or any bit of feeling because you wouldn't believe the amount of times that you have a conversation with someone, even the likes of this, even the likes of this we've both resonated in some shape or form with both of our stories. And, you know, it's, it's simply the power of kind of conversation. You wouldn't believe the amount of times that people can resonate with you in some shape or form and you can actually go, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. Um, and then thirdly, actually, the, the other thing, and I'm naming my top three, I would say, is actually and kind of having that a massive on visual. I actually have a calendar of my room. I actually need to go from my house since, since moving. I need to get that up. Uh, but, I, but I basically have a calendar in my room and I plan my day. Every single day I plan in something that I can look forward to, whether that be physical exercise or a trip to the cinema or you know, a bit of lunch out or something like that. And non-negotiable for all of us, which is, which is work, whether we like it or not, we have to do it. Yeah. And then something to stimulate my mind. And in my shape, it's for uh, a bit of reading or, or whatever it may be. It could be something completely different um, for you something to stimulate your mind. So those three things in particular, I plan every single day and I have it up in my calendar and I can just check it off. And it's that kind of sense of accomplishment, yeah. accomplishment when you see it there, you know? And what I say about that kind of individual nature of going after physical exercise not, may not be your thing to make you tick and make you happy. About finding out what works for you because I always refer to this story back in St. Pat's. We were going around um, the room. I was in, in a, what was called the Young Adult Programme for 18 to 25 year olds in a group therapy session going around asking what you're doing your good and bad days and I'm of course speaking about physical exercise you know my journaling and speaking to friends and all that sort of stuff you know and it turns to the right of me there's a 19 year old male as it were he goes I do a bit of knitting and I was looking at him with 10 heads thinking what are you knitting for you're 19 years of age sticking your bloke like you know yeah. nevertheless I found myself the next day in the group therapy session knitting away 
and it, it absolutely didn't work for me or anything like that. But that absolutely came me for it. But I think it's a prime example of I was 19 years of age. Physical exercise worked for me. He was 19 years of age. Didn't work for him. You know, so it's very, very individualistic. I love that. that you, you, def, you define what's for you and then yeah. kind of go down that route. I love that. And the, it's interesting the fact that the thing about kind of like the picking your non-negotiables each day, I think we all have them, like work is the main one or whatever it may be. But it could be simply as going out for a walk. It could be simply ringing a mate if you need it to be. It could be whatever you want. But you talk about that link thing. And I know Jerry Seinfeld does that. So he, every day he yeah. kind of filled in the jokes. He filled in an X on the calendar and then had this long chain. That's what it's called. Uh, so it's interesting you brought that in. How did the reaction when you were on the the late late? And I know you're on Tuberty when you're on the radio as well. Because I was listening yeah. back to some of the interviews. I watched back some of the interviews ahead of this, and the reaction it was like crazy. Like yeah. how 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 overwhelming and how were you expecting it at all? Yeah, I, I guess the first time I came into contact with, with Ryan was. Um, uh, RT Radio One when I went on um, in the August time, and he had said we'd love to get you back for the for the late late night. Which was thinking, That's just never going to happen. Like who am I to go into the late late show, you know? Um, and sure enough, fast forward um, uh, four or five months, uh, I'm on the late late show, and the reaction I thought the reaction from the blog was the most mind blown thing I've ever come across. Late late show was the most insane thing I've ever come across in my life, as in. I remember I was coming coming out of the studio after because it's a bit of it's it's all a bit of a blur as well because I we went in it was of course in around kind of COVID time so there was no there was no kind of crowd there there was no kind of air makeup running like that it was all just like as in none of that as like you're into the green room you're on you're on to set and it's literally as in like you have all these big blinding lights and the cameras in front of you and he's like that way you know he's he's, he's very very nice bloke and he puts you at ease and. You're sitting there and you don't actually realize the magnitude of how many people come into the show because you're just in a kind of set with, you know, just so many cameramen and, and a portrait on himself. And uh, it's like three, two, one. And then you're just in kind of autopilot, you know, for the, for the 15, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is. And I got off and I was kind of like, was well, that okay? Or was that good? Or like, as I, you don't really know. It's all very much of a power. And I came out and I had my phone there playing all the time and I flicked it on and my phone was glitching. Turn the thing back off, and I, I think over the coming three or four days, thousands—I mean, literally thousands upon thousands, thousands of messages across Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, from people I've never met before in my life. Yet again, that kind of fifteen to eighty years of age, male or female, right across the globe, um, and I was simply overwhelmed. I nearly felt bad as well because I. I literally couldn't get back to, to everyone. I even missed a couple, like some of my mates as well, like as one of my kind of couple of my close friends. I missed it from them, but the reaction I just couldn't believe and just kind of going around, you know, being kind of noticed as the guy in the late, late show for, for some time after that, which is, which is fantastic. And it was really, really nice. I, I have to say, and, and still to this day, um, just to kind of see the book in shops and kind of people notice me for that and coming up to me saying, you know, you help me kind of turn a corner here and all that. It's, it's hugely, hugely satisfying. Um, I would say no matter how many kind of All-Irelands I may have won or may go on to win, you know, um, you know, writing that book and having an effect on people that I know will turn a corner and not get to the point where I once did or even further than that um, means so much more to me and, and uh, I'm absolutely blown away, I have to say. 
Yeah, you, you can see that you're kind of you still kind of get a little bit emotional when you're even yeah, about yeah. the messages coming back in. Um, how like have you kind of people talk like about an inner circle and you talk about your mates there an awful lot, your family, your friends and stuff. Have you kind of edited your inner circle at all, or have you kind of are you being a little bit more picky who you let in since? Yeah, I I, I think I, I've always been like that. I I would be quite um. No, or people may have other opinions. I, I'm quite quiet and quite shy, and I kind of like to keep myself myself. And 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 I think from my kind of own point of view, my own kind of close knit circle, I've always kept them close, you know. And that's the thing: my mom and dad, my three sisters, my two best mates. You know, I've always kept them close. They've been there for me since day one. And in particular, around those difficult times and around St. Pat's, they were just the people that I wanted right around me. And um, of course, you can get distracted by the whole um, persona that you're um, in, in the limelight, if you like. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you sometimes you have to kind of accept that and take it as a positive, which I do. Um, I have an effect for it in the field, and I really do think, and I have to realize that. Um, but certainly, I always keep my, my kind of close knit circle. And even particularly over the last kind of four, five, six months since the release of the book, and to, again, to be transparent, I went through a very, very difficult time in around that. And, you know, an awful lot of people pulling and dragging for very good reason, you know, yeah. but I kind of just lost track of kind of, I, I wouldn't say myself, but I kind of just lost track of what really means something to me and where my energy needs to be kind of centered towards. And um, I was trying to just kind of, I would say, spread myself too, too thin um, and trying to help too many people. And I was getting so many kind of messages and I wanted so dearly to help so many people. It would then have an effect on me. Um, in terms of kind of regurgitating the past and taking in a lot, an awful lot of the kind of um, quite heartfelt stories that obviously have been saying to me, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong that I realised the position that I put myself in, but again, I just had to kind of take a step back and kind of just reassess where I'm at, what means something to me, who means something to me, and kind of just get them really, really close in around that time. And I'm so lucky that again, when I was going through that difficult time, of course, nothing like where back in 2012. 2013, 2014, but, you know, a little bump in the road. I had to kind of just knit everything back and just say, okay, what means something? Even the kind of little actions that I take, and you're probably asked what kind of actions that I take. I even got a secondary phone. I actually got a secondary phone with just the number for my two best friends, my three sisters, my girlfriend, and and uh, my parents. And I literally had no social media whatsoever on that. So I had my nine to five phone. I had respond response to kind of either public speaking events or other different bits and pieces through all different social media. But then after five o'clock, that phone went on airplane mode and whoever wanted to contact me was only through my closer after five o'clock. And I just felt such a weight off my shoulders not to be, we all do it. We all scrolling through, aimlessly yeah. scrolling through social media. And it just felt so kind of, I, I was getting my energy levels back. I was getting me back, I, I would say, because I kind of lost track in that and um, honestly kind of looking at messages and looking at it was really, really nice. That was just one of many actions that I've taken over the last kind of four, five, six months. Things and a spiral. I love that idea of kind of setting your own boundaries and protecting your own energy because your own energy is on it. It's like a battery. It's yeah. like a, it's a finite resource. And I, I love the fact that you've kind of got like who you want to talk to, or like the important people who you want to who you want to talk to on one phone, and then the rest of the world on another. It's kind of like it's it's setting an amazing boundary. I wish more people would do it. Yeah. I, I've got I've got two phones, and it's because I used to have everyone, all clients, everything on one phone. But it's just it's too much at one time. How important was the likes of of Desi Farrell and stuff like that in, in your story? 
because I don't think a lot of people realize what he does for a living as well. Yeah, and that's the thing, particularly in around the time that I was, of course, going through the most difficult stages. um, He was the first person that I resonate with. The the day that I met him up um, in in Costa Coffee in Santry, coming up to the kind of two-year mark of the the worst time of my life and suicidal ideations and the rest of it. When I'd spoken to him in Costa Coffee, um, when I was with him for 45, 50 minutes, I was in a couple of tears. um, And I was trying to explain slowly but surely what was going on for me and it was the first ever time over those two years that I had heard something coming back on I relate to you I know that you've been going through um, and I was kind of like that was a light bulb moment of like oh I'm the only person going through this and even transpiring from there you know, leading into St. Pat's he was hugely kind of um, I, I would say he was a huge kind of play in that to, to get me in there and, and get me that kind of service an awful lot of people have normally we wouldn't have had it normally as a family and he'd spoke me through that process as well every single day he came and and just wanted to look after me of, of course at that time I was an under 21 dumb footballer he was my manager he was my manager under under uh, under in minor grade for the two years and he'd just kind of taken that completely away from it and he'd just seen me a chain of person you know an awful lot of people and I, again realised the position lucky position that I'm in is people see me as a dumb footballer and that's absolutely fine and He'd see me as just Shane the person. So, so nice. Even from there, you know, the support that he'd shown to me and, and continuing to do so, even into the senior setup now over the last number of years. He's always asking, he's always asking how I am, how the family is, you know, and, and anything that he can do for me away from football inside. And I think that's just a mark of the man that he is. Of course, he's had his own difficulties um, and, and that's just a testament to who he is actually as a person. Because it just goes beyond the scope of just I'm a manager, you're a football player, and that's it. You know, he goes beyond those boundaries. You mentioned about the the under twenty one final in the book as well, about your your mom kinda walking in and then catching you crying and stuff like that. How poignant a moment was that for yourself and also the relationship between your yourself and your mom? Because that's like parents number one thing is like protect their kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh how 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 important has that been for yourself and your mom? Yeah, I, I think it was it, it was a lifting of a guard that I put up for so long, um, and, and it was just me. It was me being me, it, you know. For those two years, I I wasn't who I really was, you know. I was living two separate lives, and and the person that I really was was under wraps, behind the mask, behind the poker face, and it was kind of first of many times. Then my mum would, would have seen me over a number of months and a number of years. Then thereafter, would have seen me breaking down. And it was just a massive weight off. I just felt so at the time it was obviously difficult but I just felt so liberated from it that I could actually be who I wanted to be in around the time which was uh, unfortunate at the time but I was impressed I, I was really really bad impressed and I just felt like this horn of emotion and it wasn't an awful lot that she was actually having to say it was just again you have the love of your mom and dad and my mom particularly in this situation right beside you and again that, that would actually be a piece of advice for me as well or for people kind of listening into this, that you don't actually have to say an awful lot. An awful lot of times, that person who is going through the most difficult times just wants a little arm around the shoulder. Small little gestures you wouldn't believe, and I'm sure you can relate to that yourself and in your own kind of struggles. That smallest of things that mean the most. And in around that time, and as I say, the final kind of when I sat beside me, her arm around my shoulder was just meant the world. 
I wasn't anything that she particularly said. And if she was speaking, I, I was so incoherent. I didn't know what she was saying. So it was just the touch, the feel, the just knowing that she was there. And I had that listening ear, that listening shoulder that I so deeply needed. Um, so yeah, she, she, she's been fantastic. And, and again, I speak volumes for her, my mom, my dad, my three sisters, my two best friends and everyone else outside that circle. It's hard too many people to thank, you know, and I'm just so grateful that I could be out on the other side and be able to express this where an awful lot of people can't. And you're a credit to your family for kind of being so open about, about your experience because I think we all struggle to verbalize things and emotions at the best of times, especially when it gets to that point. It's very, very difficult. And as you said, those kind of moments don't leave you when it's like an arm around the shoulder or just even having a cry around someone. Those moments don't leave you, and that 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 can't that bond can't be broken. Um, and I'm, I'm talking from my own experience on that side as well. Um, in relation to any advice for someone who is struggling out there, what would the two three pieces of the top advice that you kind of you kind of give either to your younger self or to someone struggling right now? Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's an interesting question because if I look back, and I, and I hate to say that I have a regret in my story, but if I did have one and I, and I was to nitpick, it would be that I didn't speak up sooner. It would be that I didn't speak up in the middle of fifth year when it all started for me because what I went on from there for two years, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Um, and and I, if I hadn't known what was out the other side, I would have spoken up on day one. And that's what I'm trying to say. To you. No matter how big or small that problem is, speak up in day one because I'm I'm testing to do that and I'm telling you right here now the grass is greener on the other side and although it's it's a long arduous process and that's what another acceptance piece that an awful lot of people have to kind of come to terms with but it is it's it, anything worth doing is you know it's it, it's going to be a long arduous process so that first kind of step first step because again the foundation of where I rebuilt my life was speaking up no, I, I, and anything thereafter, all the kind of talks, the book, the interviews, all that sort of stuff, that never would have happened if I didn't speak up. And that kind of just started the ball rolling from there. So that would be my one piece of massive, massive advice for people. Kind of stemming on from that, the kind of secondary and third kind of piece that I would say is you are that person kind of taking on the information. Say, for example, I'm to you and, and I'm saying, look, I'm going through a really difficult time. And an awful lot of people are like, what do I, what do I say? What, what can I do in that situation? My piece of advice there would don't try to be the doctor or psychologist in the room. Again, kind of going back to that piece as my man where at that stage for me, you don't have to say an awful lot. Like, an awful lot of times it's just kind of be that springboard, just be that soundboard, just kind of just take in. And if you can relate to them, absolutely relate. But if you can't, just listen. And that's the thing, as in just try to be that middleman to get them on professional services, the likes of Get Out, the IACP, whatever other counseling services that are there for people. And then on the other side, if you're that kind of person thinking, can I open up a conversation with someone? Whatever first you say is confide in someone. So whether it be in my case, is it where my mom or dad? It could be the postman, it could be someone down the street, it could be your dog, whoever it is, you know. But find that one person that you can confide in. It doesn't have to be your whole story. And it wasn't for me. It was very, I say very simply, but it was basically a starting of saying, look, I'm going through a difficult time. And that could just be startups. I have to tell your whole story and very much again starting that ball rolling just going I'm going through a difficult time I need help and and that could be the starters you know so those kind of three kind of things intertwined into, into one you know speak up in day one and no matter how, how big or small that problem is 
Yeah, I think I think that's hugely important. I think it's on. It's it's also. It doesn't matter who it really is. It's if you have someone around you, you know, like not everyone has people around who they can confide in. But it's important to say like there are charities out there, like like the Pieta House and stuff like that you've mentioned. Um, for for those who who are, who are struggling, I think it's also important to say that like if someone asks how you're feeling, you say grand. Grand isn't a feeling. It's, <laughs> yeah. how, are you, it's how are you really? Yeah, it's the, yeah. the follow up question because I think everyone. I don't think there's one person around the world that hasn't had some sort of moment in the last i don't even know how long we've been in this situation for now uh, <laughs> 15 16 months or whatever it may be but everyone has been in a hit in some shape or form and as you said many times someone else has had that feeling someone else has come out the other side of it and there is hope it's just going to be a little bit uncomfortable and i always say change is uncomfortable but people think change is hard maths are hard but change is just so uncomfortable um where can people find out about the the the, the amazing book dark blue um and and where can they get it yeah no i appreciate that great book there um <laughs> uh in in all good bookshops and um, you want to go brian press the audible is actually coming out uh, for those of you who may not be uh, avid readers like myself and the audible is actually coming out on the the first of september but um until then if you want to grab a book yeah in all good bookshops and um, it, it's available nationwide did you do the the audiobook yourself? I didn't. I didn't want to butcher it. No, I I couldn't. Eat, I couldn't listen to myself. Jeez, never mind anyone else listening to me. No, I, I wouldn't. Uh, let I wouldn't speak that low. Yeah, I, I let the professionals at that. So, I know. <laughs> uh, massive congrats on, on like uh, the the audible like audible podcast is the same to way to go. Like if you're going out for your walk, the audible podcast is the way to go. So Shane, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being so honest, and thank you for for releasing that book and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thanks very much.